man, we are so excited to have you, uh, especially if you are a parent. My name is Jacob Smith, uh, and I am our college teaching director here at our Anderson campus for our college ministry. Man, I'm so excited to have you with us. I'm so excited that your children have been showing you around town, that have, they've taken you to, I think, a million functions already. Uh, I, I hope that this morning is a time where you're able to, rather than, you know, listen to a presentation or do this thing or give money to that or eat those pancakes, I hope that this morning is a time where you can just worship the Lord together. That's our hope. That's our prayer for you. And please let us know as, as this time is wrapping up, if you have any questions about our ministry, please come talk with me. Talk with one of our staff members. Please take this as an opportunity to just learn about what your students maybe been involved in for the past few years. We are here and we, we are excited to talk with you. Uh, but to kick things off, to, to kind of help us continue in that, in that theme of worship, I have just a little something that I'd like you to observe. So, assessing the situation, Mm -hmm. are they breathing? No, Rose, they are not breathing. And they have no arms or legs. No, that's not part of it. Where are they? You know what? If we come across somebody with no arms or legs, do we bother resuscitating them? I mean, what kind of quality of life do we have there? I would want to live with no legs. How about no arms? No arms or legs is basically how you exist right now, Kevin. You don't do anything. All right, well, let's get back to it, because you're losing them. Okay, too fast. Everyone, we need to pump at a pace of 100 beats per minute. Oh, okay, that's uh, hard to keep track. How many is that per hour? How's that going to help you? I will divide and then count to it. Right. Okay, well, a good trick is to pump to the tune of Staying Alive by the Bee Gees. Do you know that song? Yes, yes, I do. I love that song. First I was afraid, I was petrified. No, it's... Uh, 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 staying alive, okay. yes, staying yes, yes. alive. You were in the parking lot earlier. That's how I know you. Uh, 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 staying alive, staying alive. Uh, 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 staying alive, staying alive. Uh, you can't tell by the way I use my walk. I'm a woman's man, no time to talk. Words it loud, women warm. Been kicked around since I was born. Well, it's all right, it's okay. You can't look the other way. And the ambulance didn't arrive because nobody called 911. So you lost him. Okay. <laughs> you know, the truth is we found ourselves in that moment, right? Maybe not with the CPR dummy, or hopefully not with the CPR dummy, but we have found in life that it can be difficult to prepare now for a future need, right? It can be difficult because we, we fail to plan ahead. We get distracted. We're, we're unmotivated. We fail to plan ahead for something that's maybe very important, a, a project or, or a test or maybe a parental visit, right? You were lighting candles on Friday night like, oh no, like just trying to get rid of your odor. I don't know. Like you have those moments where you realize, oh wow, I was not prepared for this thing, for this event, for this occasion. We have those future needs that are maybe sometimes very crucial, like understanding life-saving CPR. That is a very important thing, and yet we find ourselves distracted or unmotivated for the task at hand. Now, what's incredible is that we as believers, as people who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, what we have is an incredible opportunity to prepare and plan now for the Lord's purpose, for a future opportunity. That's what's beautiful about our gospel. 
Jesus Christ stepped out of heaven and onto earth to live and die and rise again for our sake, so that anyone who might call on his name might be saved. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But what's beautiful about that is it's more than just us having our slate wiped clean, having our our sins forgiven, our, our account set to zero. Instead, we are also given his righteousness. But more so than even just being afforded his righteousness, his, his character, his, his heart, as we learned last week, what's incredible is that we are as a family, as sons and daughters of the Lord Most High, who are no longer children of wrath, but have been adopted into a new family, we are given a purpose. We're a part of a plan. We're part of something bigger than ourselves. That's what's incredible about the Christian gospel, is that's more than just about you. It's about more than just what it does for you. Instead, it places you in line of a bigger, in part, as part of a bigger plan, a bigger purpose. The Lord has a purpose for all believers that we would build a community that worships him. That's, that's all of our purpose. That's the purpose that God has given to every single believer. That's why Christ, when he rose to heaven as he was leaving his disciples to prepare a place for them in his father's house. He says, I want you to go out. I want you to make disciples. I want you to preach. I want you to baptize. I want you to teach people what I've taught you. I want you to go out, in other words, gather people together and point them towards God. That's our purpose. And yet we have all found ourselves distracted from that, right? The truth is is that we as believers with that incredible high purpose have still found ourselves distracted or maybe even apathetic towards the the Lord's purpose, which is why last week what we saw in the life of Nehemiah was the charge, the, the call for us to pray that God would align ourselves with his heart, that we would love what he loves and that our hearts would break where his hearts, where his heart breaks. We get distracted, we feel apathetic, or sometimes maybe we doubt our part. We doubt our role in the Lord's purpose. We become fearful, and we question maybe whether or not we have the right position to do something, or we question whether or not maybe we have enough power to accomplish something, or maybe we begin to doubt and become fearful that what if I try to place myself in the Lord's purpose? What if I try my best, and yet I still fail? What if I have the potential for failure and, and fault and, and destruction? What if, what if I do my best and yet I come up empty? How do we as believers avoid that? Right? How do we avoid that fear and that doubt and instead prepare ourselves to be used in the Lord's purpose, to build community that worships him? How do we do that? Over the next four weeks, we're looking at the life of Nehemiah. We started last week. We'll continue for the next few And we've been looking at the life of Nehemiah, a person who was aligned with God's heart, who followed God's plan, who gathered God's people into a community that would change their culture. Nehemiah was a person who saw the brokenness in his midst and decided to build. That's who he was. That's what he did. That's how the Lord worked through his life. Last week, we saw in particular the, the fact that Nehemiah aligned himself with the Lord's heart and, and what it loved and where it was broken and how it moved towards that brokenness, how it moved towards those needs. His people who were facing destruction and danger, which was all brought about from their distance from God, right? We saw that. But this morning, we'll see that his heart did more than just break. Instead, he also moved. 
We'll see his alignment, not just with the Lord's heart, but we'll see his alignment with the Lord's purpose, how he trusted the Lord despite his doubts or fears of failure, how Nehemiah and we ourselves can bring people together and build community that points to God. We're going to recap a little bit, Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 11. If you have a Bible or if you want to go there uh, in an app or whatever, however you want to get there, Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 11. Uh, This is where we ended last week, where we discovered at the very end of the first chapter, uh, after Nehemiah had heard the needs of his people and his heart was breaking, he was praying to the Lord and fasting, we found out at the very end that Nehemiah was not just some guy who was praying about the needs of his people, the the Jews who had gone back to Judah, who had gone back to the city of Jerusalem, who were at the temple which was rebuilt, and yet were still suffering, were still in danger, still could not worship God because their walls were broken. When Nehemiah knew about that, it broke his heart. He was praying and fasting, and we found out at the end of the chapter that he was actually in a position to do something because he was, chapter 1, verse 11, Nehemiah, we discover, was a cupbearer for the king. So then in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought to me, I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now, previously, I had not been depressed in the king's presence. All right, so essentially what we see here is Nehemiah recognizes that, you know what, I, I actually am in a pretty good position. Right? Not maybe the best position, maybe not the most powerful position, but he recognizes the Lord has placed me in this place with a purpose in mind, right? There's an intentional reason why I'm here. Now, he could have doubted that position, right? He, he could have maybe even feared a lack of opportunity uh, to do something about the needs, to move towards the needs of his people. His position, yeah, I mean, it's, it's trusted, it's significant to be the cupbearer, uh, but you were also not just a trusted person, but you were also incredibly uh, disposable. I- essentially, what would happen is that you would, you would bring the, the, the king's cup to him, the, the wine or the drink, whatever it might be, he would bring it to him, uh, and he would, you know, be like, oh, great. But if the king maybe had an inkling, he was like, hey, you know what? That actually might, I don't know, this might be poison, so, so could you just, like, try it first, right? Because I'm the king. I don't want to die from drinking poison, so how about we'll see how you do. Check in with me in the morning. We'll see. Maybe I'll drink that wine. Like you were a guy who essentially was, yeah, a trusted advisor was there next to the king, but also you were like the first person to die if poison came into the equation. Like that was just, you were the first line of poison defense. And so Nehemiah knew that. So he's like, you know what? You know, my, my position maybe uh, is disposable. I'm, I'm there, but yet I'm not quite because he also maybe would have opportunity or he would maybe doubt his opportunity to share with the king because kings at that time and to this day probably don't really listen to the uh, policy ideas of their support staff, right? Old Barry Obama is not going to question his driver about like, well, you know, what do you think about uh, trade embargoes and like import tariffs? Like that's, that's not going to be a conversation that they have. His driver's not going to be setting those policies in motion because he's just support staff. That's what Nehemiah was. He was just sort of there to make sure the king uh, was provided his cups, had his wine, had his drink. And yet, What we see incredibly in the life of Nehemiah is despite the potential to to doubt or fear, what we see is he trusts the Lord and he's patient. He's very patient. He he waits on the Lord to provide opportunity. That's why we see right here the month of Nisan, right? Which is, if you didn't, it's right after the month of Hyundai. And that's uh, when (laughs) you, is actually, this is actually four months after 
chapter 1, all right? So what we, if we knew kind of the calendar at that time, we would know that this is four months later. So he heard the news. It broke his heart. He's been praying. He's been fasting for not just a day, not just a week, for four months. He's been going before the Lord, praying, fasting, mourning about this, the needs of his people. And what we see is that he's been doing it basically on his own. He hasn't led on to the king. That's why he says, I had not been depressed in the king's presence. In other words, he hadn't pressed the issue yet. He was waiting for God to create the proper opportunity, the optimum moment for that request. This is, we do this, right? Our parents maybe are with us. We know where our parents are. We remember those times where we had to wait for the special moment to ask that special request of our parents, right? Maybe we wanted to go on that weekend trip. We wanted to go out to do that thing. We wanted to buy this object or go on this date or whatever it might be. We knew that, hey, you know what? I can't just like make that request just willy-nilly anytime. I'm going to have to wait until they're like super-duper happy, right? Like maybe it's the weekend. I made them like pancakes or like I just cleaned the kitchen or something. Like I did something really nice for them and they're just kind of feeling great. And I'm like, hey, can I go to like Oklahoma or whatever it is, you know? Or or maybe maybe we wait until they're just super-duper tired. This was one of my strategies where you would just, in high school, I would, you know, you'd talk to your parents. It's like, 12, you know, it's like midnight, and every, they're just like, they're maybe like already asleep. You just kind of crack through, and like, hey, can I, can I go out of town this weekend? And you just sort of hear like, and you're like, okay, great, thank you. And then you're just kind of done. And then you're like, hey, we talked about this. What are you, why are you questioning? Like, we, you approved. Like, you have, you have this idea. You knew your parents, right? You know your parents. Maybe even this week when they came in, they're like, oh, I'm so excited to see you. You're like, oh, I am too. Oh my gosh. Oh, Target's right there. That's so crazy. Maybe we should just go look at picture frames. I don't know. And you know, like there's an opportune moment to make that request. Nehemiah recognizes, you know what? I'm not going to have to force the issue. Instead, I'm going to be patient. I'm going to trust that God has put me. I'm going to trust that God is going to raise the right moment. He's going to provide the opportunity for me to make this request, to make this need known. He trusted that God had positioned him to build. The reality is that Nehemiah's position, it, it did have limited authority, but it had incredible access to the king and to resources, as we'll see in a moment. And the truth is that God has positioned you to build. God has put you where he's placed you for his purpose to gather people together to build and grow community that would point to him. You have, in college, maybe not the most officially important position, right? Maybe you're not like the leader of this company. You're not a CEO. You're not like the party planning committee for this group or whatever. Like maybe you don't feel like you have a super official important position, and yet What we discover time and again, famous author John Maxwell, in writing on kind of the principles of leadership, he boils it down wonderfully, says, you know, the reality is that people don't follow a position. They actually just follow a person. That's what people look for. And we've done this, right? We've seen this. We've been in in that work place, or we've been in that study group, or we've been in that lab group, or we've been in part of that group project where maybe the leader isn't really getting followed, right? The person who's been appointed, you're like, look, Steve, you're great, but oh my gosh, I'm not doing anything you're saying because you are a dum-dum or whatever it is. Like you, you recognize, you know what? Maybe you have that position, but people aren't really following you. People don't follow a position. They follow a person. That's always the most important. 
So maybe you don't feel like you have that super official position, and yet you are a person. You have influence. You in college have limited authority, but my goodness, you have incredible access. Incredible access to resources and to people in your midst. At this point, you have maybe limited uh, economic resources, right? Some of us don't have cars, some of us do, some of us uh, are, are taking on student loans, you know, whatever it might be. We have limited uh, kind of resources, financial resources, and yet because of that, you also have limited responsibilities, generally speaking. You, are very, you have flexible time. In, in other words, you could essentially just decide like, hey, next weekend, we should like drive to Wisconsin. And then like your friend could be like, okay, great. If I, had, if I wanted to, like, drive to Wisconsin next weekend, I'd have to, like, fill out a government application. I don't know. Like, there's, I have children and a mortgage, and, or not a child, not children. But it just, I have these things in my life that tie me down. Your parents have responsibilities that they're kind of grounded with, and you have, you're more limited in that. You're more flexible in that, generally, generally speaking. So those limited resources actually free you up where you have limited responsibilities. You could just, you could just drive to Wisconsin someday. You could just do that next weekend. That's amazing. You have maybe an experience, right? Maybe this is something that's been told to you by professors or TAs or maybe a boss. Like you maybe are inexperienced in some ways, but because of that, because of your youthfulness, you also have incredible energy. In other words, you could drive to Wisconsin today after church. Like you could just be like, hey, you guys want to go to Wisconsin? That kind of sounded fun. I like cheese. And then they'd be like, yeah, let's go. You could do that. You could just drive. Like, I don't know. Like you just have that youthful energy. You have that opportunity. You have an open future. And for some of us, that's really stressful. Some of us are like, yeah, I mean, I just want to close that down. Like, I need to get that future locked in place. But what's incredible about that open future that can be stressful or, 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 or uncertain at times, that basically provides incredible opportunity. To put it in the Wisconsin framework, you could move to Wisconsin today. Why not? Like, you could do that. You have an open future ahead of you. Please don't move to Wisconsin today and call your parents and be like, it was God. Like, he sent me. (laughs) The Lord moved this morning. But you have that open opportunity. You have maybe limited authority, but you have incredible access. Not just in in those things that are available to you uh, in terms of resources, but also in the opportunity that you have with people in college right now, just specifically in College Station. You have access to so many people who are desperate for meaningful community. College Station alone. Well, Bryan College Station. Blinn Campus. Just the Bryan Campus for Blinn College has 13,000 students in it right now. Or just over. 13,000 students, all right? Texas A&M. Just the College Station Campus. 58,000 students. In other words, there are 71,000 thousand students, college students, right here, right now. 71,000 students. If we remember last week, what we saw statistics from the, just the, the, the Society for uh, the Psychological, uh, American Psychological Study Association, they, they found that over the course of college, about 50% of students go to counseling. Now, what's interesting about that 
is I've talked with counselors in our area. I've worked with counselors in our area uh, a lot of times because of uh, my ministry context. I, I've gotten to know different counselors, referred students to them. And, and what we've found or what I've heard from these men and women is essentially uh, one guy in particular told me how uh, when he looks at his client base, right, many of whom are students, when he looks at his client base, he's found that probably about 80%, four out of five, 80% of his clients wouldn't have to come back if they simply had meaningful, God-focused community. 80%. So if we break that down in numbers, right? So let's say that the half that go to counseling, let's say, let's just pretend that the half people that don't go to counseling are great, which is not true. But let's just say that the half that go to counseling, we're just looking at them. That means we're looking at if 80% of those people could, you know, all of it, they just need, they desperately need God-centered, meaningful community. That means we have 28,000 people college students, not just people, 28,000 college students in our midst who desperately need meaningful community all around us, in our classes and in our jobs, in our labs, maybe in our apartments, maybe at our houses, maybe in our organizations, maybe sitting next to you right now. 28,000 students. It's really, it's more than that. What's tragic is we actually did an informal poll a few years ago. Uh, it was started by George Jacobus, wonderful college pastor over at Central Baptist. He was like, hey, you know, let's, let's kind of get a basic idea of how many students do we have in small groups? How many students do we have in community? So we're looking at home groups. We're looking at uh, Bible studies through or different organizations, student organizations, uh, just kind of, you know, the, like BSM, stuff like that, uh, parachurch ministries. How many students do we have probably just in college, Brian College Station as a whole in small groups? So he took it upon himself. He talked with all these different churches, all these different parachurch organizations, all these different ministries, all these different student organizations. And what he found is on the high end High-end estimate of how many students are currently in some sort of small group, some sort of meaningful community. We have about 2,000 students. Total of 71,000. There's an incredible need in our midst, which means there's incredible opportunity for us. God has placed us here with a purpose. God has equipped us with a purpose. God has moved us and brought us to this moment that we might bring other people together, build community, and point them towards the Lord. Nehemiah saw that. He trusted the God. He was was patient in those moments. And eventually that opportunity arose. Chapter 2, verse 2, the king finally says to Nehemiah, why do you appear to be depressed when you aren't sick? What can this be other than sadness of heart? Now, this made me, Nehemiah, very fearful. So we don't know what came about. We don't know what instigated this moment. We don't know exactly what, how Nehemiah knew that the, that day was the day to finally kind of let his demeanor fall, to let his countenance fall, to let his depression kind of show through. Somehow the Lord let him or provided, we don't know. Maybe he just slipped up. But he had this moment where the king finally noticed, hey, you're, you're depressed. Like something's wrong with you. He says, what could this be other than sadness of heart? Which makes Nehemiah fearful because the reality is that the king 
had power in this moment to destroy Nehemiah, literally kill him. At that time, it was an offense to the king, to any ruler, if you were depressed or, or sad in their presence. Because if you're in the presence of royalty, well, gosh, you should be over the moon. You should be joyous at all times. And so if you walk into the king's presence and your countenance has fallen and, and you're depressed or you're sad, you let that show. Many times rulers would, would just say, oh, well, you're done. Like, get out of here. You're like dead. So Nehemiah is fearful, and yet he replied to the king, O king, live forever. Why would I not appear dejected when the city with the grave of my ancestors lies desolate and its gates destroyed by fire? And so the king responded, Well, what is, it, what is it you are seeking? So then I quickly prayed to the God of heaven. Nehemiah finally has this moment. He finally has the opportunity where the king asks him, Okay, like, what's, what's going on? And yet what's beautiful is that Nehemiah could have, in that moment, doubted himself. Right? In that moment, he, he could have doubted maybe his abilities. He maybe could have been fearful of the king's power. He could have doubted, you know, his abilities, meaning uh, he's a cupbearer, right? Generally, cupbearer skills don't really overlap with architects, right? He's thinking about this building project, building up walls and forming these people. As a cupbearer, like, you're not really getting trained in that. Cupbearers, it's like, here's a cup. All right, great. You'd be great, you know, A plus. Like, that's it. But he's in his mind, he's trying to create this plan for, for a major process for this other completely different sort of endeavor. It'd be like if I came up to you and said, oh, what are you majoring in? Oh, accounting. Oh, great. You're an accounting major. That's, that's so awesome. So can you go ahead and build me a paper mache dinosaur? That'd be wonderful. You'd be like, well, I can build a spreadsheet <laughs> that'll blow your mind. But, you know, like maybe, maybe that's not in my skill set see those skills sort of overlapping. Nehemiah is a cupbearer. He could have doubted himself in that moment. He could have been fearful of what the king was going to do, of how the king would respond to his depression. Again, the king could have just killed him. That could have just been it. It happened all the time. He was very disposable. The king could have just decided, you know what? Hey, you're going to turn that frown upside down? No? Okay, well, you're dead. Like, that's it. It's over. And yet in that moment, what's incredible is Nehemiah doesn't doubt his own ability. He doesn't become fearful of the king's power. And so what does he do? He prays. He prays. He's patient. He waits for the Lord to provide that opportunity. And when it comes, he goes back to the Lord in prayer. He prays. He seeks the Lord knowing that God would provide the ability he needs. Because God's power is greater than anything this world has to offer. Nehemiah knew this to be true. He trusted in that. I have a daughter named Charlotte who's wonderful. She's 15 months old. And Charlotte loves climbing up on top of furniture, specifically our ottoman that we have in the middle of our living room. And she loves to get on top. Uh, and this is a very rare moment because generally Charlotte will climb on top of this piece of furniture, this couch or the ottoman or whatever it might be. And as soon as she gets there, her immediate desire is to throw herself off with reckless abandon. That's what she does. That's what she loves to do. She's some sort of adrenaline junkie already, and it makes my heart very scared. And so I see her do this over and over and over again. She will climb up. She will find, she somehow positioned her dollhouse to get up there. It was incredible. I was like, yay. And I was like, no, because she gets up on this thing and she yells out to her credit. She will yell out. She'll get our attention, myself or my wife's attention. She'll say, ah, and we'll be like, what? Oh no. And then we run in because immediately after she yells out, she will launch herself 
off of whatever the object might be. Why? It's because she knows. She trusts us. She knows that we have the power to stop her from being crushed by the ground, right? And we have. We have done that many, many times. But the reality is that at some point, we will not have that power. And that trust will be very misplaced. (laughs) And everyone will be very sad. And heads will be bonked. That's what's going to happen one day. Not today, hopefully. (laughs) But not, or someday. Because ultimately, her trust in us, it, it only goes so far, right? Eventually, that trust is going to come back to haunt her. Her head will be bonked. She will then learn, though, hopefully, okay, maybe I shouldn't do that quite so often because right now I do it constantly. (laughs) Nehemiah trusted that God would provide what was needed to build. He trusted God in that. He didn't just trust that God had positioned him to build. He trusted that God would provide what was needed to build. And the reality is that God has provided what you need to build. He has. Some of us are sitting here right now, and we're like, I don't know. I have like two friends and that's enough. Like that, that would be me. If I had like four guys that just like were kind of, were buddies, like that's great. I don't need to talk to anyone else ever again. Like that's enough for me. Some of us are there. Some of us be like, well, no, like maybe I want to know more people or maybe I would gather people, but I just don't have the skills. I don't, I don't have the ability, right? Like I just don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I'm really boring, whatever it might be. We feel as if maybe our abilities aren't up to par, that maybe we don't have, uh, we're not equipped to, to find common ground or connection with people. But the reality is that, man, if you are in college right now, you have incredible ability to find that common ground, to find that connection with anyone. Anyone. Is there anyone here right now who is an Aggie puller. Okay, good. Well, it's a little sad, but good. Aggie puller. We'll just move on. No, I'm just kidding. So an Aggie puller, what this is, it's an organization at Texas A&M that's amazing. I discovered them last night, and my life will never be the same. Because this is an organization who, by their own definition, the members of this organization design, build, and test Texas A&M's quarter-scale tractor which you're thinking, what is a quarter-scale tractor? I've seen tractors. I think they're a pretty good size. Yet some people look at tractors like, you know what? I want that to be one-fourth of its current size. And so they build these things, quarter-scale tractors. So the Aggie pullers, what they do is they create a Texas A&M branded quarter-scale tractor to compete at the International Quarter-Scale Tractor Competition held each May. This year it's in Iowa. Start making plans. And our polar team, this is what's amazing. Not only have these people found each other, there's like 30-something people in this organization right now. This, it, was, it was a long shot if one of them was here. I really hoped they were. But these people have not only found themselves, but they have actually created this identity. They are known. <laughs> they are known in the International Quarter-Scale Tractor Competition Network because, and I quote, in 2005, Texas A&M's tractor had a tuned exhaust, making it almost unbearably loud. So in 2006, the IQS, International Quarter Scale Tractor Competition, (laughs) developed stringent rules on how loud a tractor could be. The reason may never be known. Nevertheless, a good story to tell. Indeed. Indeed. I affirm that. Our quarter scale tractor team, our Aggie pullers, are are just bad boys. They are... They are... (laughs) The rebels of the IQS, and I love that so much. 
I love that so much. No matter what your interest might be, no matter what your passions are, no matter what you enjoy, no matter what you've been pursuing, I guarantee you there are people around you who have those same goals, those same interests, those same passions. God has given you ability and opportunity to connect with people. I promise you, 70% of us, we did our own survey of, you know, at the beginning of the semester, 70% of us here right now, at least 70% of us are in some sort of student organization centered on a social or academic or, or event or career focus. 70% of us are already in something where we're surrounded by other people with like-mindedness, with people that are focused on the same things that we are. You have something that other people that will, will rally around with you. There's something in you. If there's an ability that you have, there's a passion that you have that is already a connecting point. That's already something that can gather other people to you. God has provided what we need to build community. And we don't have to fear rejection. We really don't. Nehemiah had a, could have had a justified fear the king's power. Because if he was rejected, he was dead. We don't even have that excuse. We have no reason to fear rejection. Find a partner right now. Okay, just look left or right. Find a person. Just know, okay, like, we're partners, all right? Make that kind of connection. Okay, you have your partner. Now, I want one of you, so you can just just determine it right now. One of you is going to ask the other one, want to hang out later? Okay, say that. One of you. Okay. All right. Great. Great. Excellent. Wonderful. You guys are wonderful. Okay. Now, partner number two, partner number two, look back at them, make really good, genuine eye contact and say, no. (laughs) Okay. I didn't hear it, but I trust it was there. I trust you said it. And you know what? We're all okay. Like we all made it. We survived that moment. That's what happens. That's what rejection looks like in our context. If you try to gather people together and you try to pull them together and you want to maybe initiate something or you say, hey, I want us to get around this thing or I want you to we should, we should watch this game or we should eat this meal or we should go to this event or watch this concert, whatever it might be, the absolute worst case scenario is that person is partner number two and they look at you and say, no. That's it. That's amazing. That's amazing. The Lord has placed us in a place. He has given us ability. He has taken away any fear that we might have of the powers that be that stand in our way of gathering people to build community. Nehemiah was patient. He prayed. And what's incredible is he also made a plan in the midst of that time. King confronts him in verse 4 as we just read. In verse 5, after praying quickly to the Lord, Nehemiah said to the king, Well, if the king is so inclined, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, dispatch me to Judah, to the city with the graves of my ancestors, so I can rebuild it. We're not going to go through all the verses, but what actually 6 through 7 are is, is Nehemiah just laying out what he needs for that task. 
He says, I'm going to need you to write me uh, permission slips, essentially. I'm going to need you to write these letters to these other rulers so I can travel safely through their land. I'm going to need you to give me permission to go to this forest and, and gather timber. I'm going to need you to you know, be, approve all these different resources. Nehemiah, in the midst of his prayer, in the midst of his patience, waiting for the Lord to, to give him the opportunity to gather people, to, to build something in the midst of the brokenness that he had seen, where his heart had broken for the needs of his people. In the midst of that time, Nehemiah wasn't just twiddling his thumbs. He wasn't just sitting idly by. He was planning. He was preparing. Nehemiah had thought through, where would I get this timber? Who would I need to talk to? How do I go about this? How can I bring together some sort of plan so that I can be used for God's purpose? Nehemiah trusted that God would use those plans in some way. He didn't know that the plans would, it would work out the way that he intended it. What we'll find later in the book is they don't. It goes very different. It turns out differently than he was probably planning on it turning out. But he still planned. He still trusted that God would use it somehow, in some way, even if it doesn't meet up with Nehemiah's own personal expectations. He made plans in the midst of that moment for God's purpose. Some of us got to go to a parent's breakaway last night, which is always awesome. Many of us have been to breakaway, continue to go to breakaway. I've mentioned this before, but, you know, breakaway didn't start off as 12,000 people meeting in Reed Arena. Breakaway started off in 1989 in an apartment where a guy named Greg Mott, who had just been kind of attending church regularly for about two years. He'd kind of gotten involved in the church and in the Christian community for about two years at that point. He decided in that moment in 1989, you know what? I think I want to start a Bible study. I want to do something with my roommates and their friends. That was it. Roommates and friends. And so they start off with about 12 people. I'm in a class right now with one of those guys who in 1989 showed up at Greg's apartment. like, hey, well, all right, let's talk about the Bible or whatever. And that went on. Week to week to week, and more people came, more people came. They eventually moved and started meeting in a school, in a cafeteria. They started meeting in different places. Eventually, Central Baptist was gracious and opened up no-rent-free meeting space. And from that point on, it just continued to grow and grow, and people came and gathered, and they would worship, and they would sing, and they would hear from the Scripture. They would learn about the Lord until it becomes the just mind-boggling thing it is now. An event, a time, an organization that, that just doesn't exist anywhere else. It really doesn't. Where thousands and thousands of students get together every single week to praise the Lord, to worship Him, and to hear from His Word. That is incredible. And it all started because in 1989, Greg Mott decided, you know what? I'm going to start making plans for God's purpose. I don't know what this is exactly going to turn into. I don't know what this is going to be. But I know that right now I'm called to bring people together to build community. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to make plans. I'm going to open up my home. I'm going to make this happen. Nehemiah knew in the midst of this moment as the king approached him, he knew, you know what? The good hand of my God was on me. Nehemiah was making plans and going through these motions and, and putting all this stuff together because he trusted ultimately that the Lord was in control, that the good hand of my God was on me. He trusted that God would use Nehemiah's work. He trusted that God would use his work in some way. He trusted that God would use his plans 
to build. And the reality is that God wants to use your plans to build. He does. He really does. We see in 1 Peter the same kind of illustration, not building up a wall, but instead building up a house. We see that you come to him, he's talking to believers, a living stone rejected by men, but chosen and priceless in God's sight. You yourselves as living stones are built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Peter's addressing believers. He says, look, here's what you are. You are a people that are living stones. You're not just here on your own. You're not just trying to like figure out the world between you and God. No, instead you are called to be built up together. Spiritual house, a place where people can come and offer sacrifices to the Lord. In other words, you are called as believers to bring people together to build community. And this is what we want to do. Okay, this is what we want to do. So here's the plan. We're in April. And April will continue for a few more weeks. That's the way months work. And when we get to the final week of April, right? So right now it's April 10th. When we get to the final week of April, it's kicked off by April 24th. That's the Sunday when there's like a full week in April before May hits. So before there's no finals or anything like that, dead, dead week is the next week. We have this final week of April. And what we can do in that week Find a time, find a place, find a moment to bring people together to build community. We can do that. It's a very achievable goal. That's a very clear way that we can actually begin to live out this purpose in our lives. So that's what I'd ask of you. That you would start today thinking about what could I do? How could I plan for the Lord's purpose? How could I leverage my position? How could I look for opportunity? Who in my midst could I gather together for the sake of building community? We all have some position that God has given to us. We, we were in those organizations. We're in those classes. We're in different workplaces. We're living in dorms or apartment complexes. We have neighbors. We have roommates. We have classmates. We have workmates. We have people in our midst who have this great need to know the Lord. So where are you? Who are those people? Who could you be thinking of right now? Who maybe did your heart break for last week as you went to the Lord in prayer? Who did God place upon your heart to to gather together, to build community? What are your abilities? What, What could you do to bring those people together? Maybe you already love playing Ultimate Frisbee. You're like, you know what? How about just like that last Wednesday in April, we're just gonna go play Ultimate Frisbee from like two to four. Something like that. You don't have to think of something that, like, you hate, you, like, you hate camping. Don't, like, organize a camping trip. Let's, don't do that because camping is the worst. But also, like, if you don't like it, don't do that. What do you already like? What has God already given you ability in? Maybe it's just a show. Maybe it's a movie that you want to go see. You can invite people to do that and then go get, like, yogurt afterwards or something like that. There's probably food that you like, probably, right? Most of us are in that boat. We generally like to eat some sort of food. You can bring people together for that. Who is it around you that you could just invite to a meal? Maybe if you're stressed out with classes, you're like, well, I got all these things, I got these projects that I do. You have an hour, you have two hours that final week of April where you can bring people together to build community, to start relationships that maybe are put on pause over the summer. That's okay. 
and pick back up in the fall. Maybe it'll surprise you. Maybe there's people you're going to connect with that you could continue to know and connect with over the summer. You don't know what the Lord can do with that. You don't know how God can use those plans, but what we do know is God wants to use some plan. He wants to use our plans. He wants to use our abilities, our positions. He wants to use us for his purpose. So what can you do? Who can you bring together to build community? Now, the truth is that Nehemiah was not alone in his endeavor. Next week, we'll see he was not alone. He had people to gather together. And and the truth is that also you are not alone. You're not alone either. I'm not just casting these things out from the front and then letting you do your thing. I, w- I want to help you. I want to equip you. I want to walk alongside of you in this. Next week, we are going to present you with some options that we're thinking about and praying about. Different gathering moments, moments where we can bring people together to build community. It doesn't have to be a moment where someone shares the gospel or, or where a testimony is shared or where a parable is told. Like, that's okay. We're, we're right now just in this moment. What we're trying to do is build community. We're trying to build those bridges for those future conversations, for those future testimonies. And we're, we have some options that we will present to you that you can join us in. And you know what? Maybe it'll be a great fit for some of you, but it won't be best for all of you. It won't be. So take time now to think, to pray, to plan. So we do this from time to time. Uh, if you're new, if you're a parent visiting, I promise it's not going to be too weird. But what you're going to do is you're going to find a partner, maybe not the one who rejected you earlier for your social invitation. You might have some bad blood there. But you can find maybe that partner or one or two other people that you can just kind of pair up with. And what you're going to do is you're going to pray together. And you're going to share briefly at the front, and you're going to share with that person where maybe you think the Lord could use you to bring people together to build community. And it doesn't have to be exact. It doesn't have to be super certain. Maybe it's just like a vague idea of, of maybe like, well, I mean, I'm in these classes or I have these majors or I'm in this organization. I don't know. That, that's fine. It can, be, it can be super duper vague. That's fine. But just share with them very briefly. Like, I, I think maybe the Lord could use me in this. Or I think maybe I, I want to bring people together to eat this food or like to watch this thing or to do the, you know, play this sport or play this board game. Whatever it is. Share that briefly with that partner and then take time to pray together. Ask that the Lord would begin to formalize or form those plans in your mind and then to use them for his purpose. Find that partner, start, that, start sharing, pray together right now. Race, I go. Lord God, we thank you that we have the opportunity, Lord, to, to bring people together. God, that we have been given... Uh, positions of, of influence, God, abilities that, that people can gather around. Lord, we thank you that you've uh, already been at work, maybe preparing the hearts of others to, to, to say yes to our invitation, to come hang out for a meal or, or come uh, hang out with our roommate. Or, or Lord, we thank you that you are already at work, that Lord, you already know what those events are going to look like. God, you already know how those moments are going to play out. So God, we just ask that we would trust you with those times. God, we would be faithful to to be a part of this purpose. God, that we would have those moments where we we gather not just the friends that we know and love already, but there would be new people there, many of whom hopefully, Lord, are are people that don't have community elsewhere, that maybe are are not in relationship with you in the slightest. God, we ask you would open our eyes to see who those people are. God, you would move our feet put plans in place that you could use for that purpose. Lord, we trust you. We know, we know that you can use us. 